Welcome to the October 7th, 2007 podcast of Reverend Liz and Friends at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Silver Spring. Our reading this morning was written by a good friend of mine. Aaron and I became friends as seminarians at Divinity School and have stayed close since then. We spend time together at the UU General Assembly each year. We meet twice a year as members of the same Unitarian Universalist Minister's Study Group. And I had the great privilege and joy of being duly vested with the power by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to perform the wedding of Aaron and her partner in October of 2004, nine months after she preached the sermon that I quoted to you just now. I cannot tell you how thrilled I was when she asked me to do it, not only because she is a good friend, and so the task would be exceedingly joyful just for that reason, but also because it would be my first chance to perform a legally binding ceremony of union for a same-sex couple. During the ceremony, I asked them, quote, if you have carefully considered the sacredness of the obligations assumed when lives are wed, and are well assured that you are prepared to enter this covenant, binding your lives together through time. Will you then join hands and declare before those of us gathered here, your family and friends, the vows of your marriage? And when I came ultimately to that line, by the power vested in me by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, it was so powerful and important. A great cheer roared up behind me, from a church filled with guests to the point of standing room only, and I had to stop there and let the moment roll on in all its exuberance and vindication. I held up my hand, and I punched it forward, and another roar came from all the dignified, quietly dressed Unitarian Universalists in the old-fashioned box pews of the first parish in Wayland. And then finally it got quiet, and I could, because Erin had, had invited all of her church to her wedding, as well as all her friends. <clears throat> and finally got quiet, and I could finish. I declare you to be from this day forward fully and legally wed. I have studied marriage throughout history as part of my interest in the history of women in Western religion, and I can still repeat by heart the marriage vow made by the father of the bride on her behalf back in the day of classical Greece. I give this woman, and then it would say her name, for the purpose of the procreation of legitimate children. (laughs) Pretty romantic, huh? (laughs) It harkens back to that point that Aaron made, that once upon a time marriage was a business arrangement and that it was that way for a very long time. Marrying for love is a modern phenomenon, and marrying with the belief and intent that you are committing to and sacralizing a relationship that will actually be cherished, honored, most intimate, and most sustaining for a lifetime is an enormous undertaking. As many in this sanctuary know, it is one that takes tremendous energy, generosity, forgiveness, and care to achieve. When we talk about marriage, what are we really talking about? Does everyone buy into the concept that I just spoke about? In fact, no. 
There are many people the world over for whom marriage is still a business transaction, many who marry the choice of their parents rather than themselves, many who are able by the laws of their country or the standards of their faith to be married to more than one person at the same time. In fact, all these traditions prevail even among citizens in our own country. So it behooves us to be sure we're talking about the same thing when what we're talking about is something as complex, fundamental, and currently incendiary as marriage. So let me be clear. When I'm talking about marriage in this sermon, I am talking about the committed relationship between two adult people that is intended to last a lifetime. I look at it, all these couples I have married in recent years. (laughs) And that is based on mutuality, fidelity, respect, trust, and love. I have some close friends up in Boston that I was visiting with recently who have been together over 10 years, and I have taken to pressuring them to get married because they have promised me that I can do the wedding when they do. They are a gay couple who have weathered some very considerable difficulties in their relationship, all the tough ones that people encounter, fidelity, finances, employment, and some significant cultural differences. When it became legal for them to marry in Massachusetts, I hoped and believed they would do it fairly soon. But to my surprise, they still haven't, and they may not. When we had our regular conversation about marriage a couple of weeks ago, the main reason they gave for continuing to hesitate is that they are aware that the standards they have set for their permanent relationship don't fit the usual bounds of marriage in America. I asked them if I could quote that conversation for this sermon, and they gave me permission. Perhaps the most significant difference in their definition is their definition of physical fidelity, which is broader than the public norm and more open than some would be comfortable with, including myself. I don't know if it's because they're gay and sexuality is such a strong force in gay culture or because they're men and, as some studies suggest, males are often less oriented towards monogamy than females or what, and perhaps it doesn't matter. They have established an enduring relationship wherein they share their home, their lives, and their souls with each other and only each other. And they depend upon each other with confidence and profound love. And within this relationship, they have set articulated standards for the physical terms of their partnership, which work for them. In the conversation, I responded that plenty of straight couples get married and don't honor fidelity in their marriage, whether or not it's part of their marriage vow. So that while the straight public standard is one thing, the straight private standard is clearly not always the same. In the end, were things that different, other than that my friends both acknowledged their more open standard? If straight couples could get married and stay married without a problem in that area, why did this undermine my friend's legitimacy to get married? In the end, it became clear that somehow they still feel closed out of marriage, regardless of Massachusetts state law. That it is a great thing for many, and for many gay and lesbian couples, but not right now for them. I asked them what they would do if the Massachusetts legislator took the steps that some conservative legislators are threatening, which is to undermine the current ruling by creating a law that defines marriage as between a man and a woman. Then, they said, they would rush out in a trice and get married right away. (laughs) Before the overturning. But... They would do it as a political act to help be part of the problem articulated by Massachusetts Governor Romney, who said, what would they do with all the couples who had been legally wed in the interim? 
This was surprising because my friends are actually in many ways conservative and careful people. They go to church, and one sings in the choir. They pray regularly. They live their liberal values with great care and thoughtfulness. They only have one car between the two of them and try to use public transportation as much as possible for environmental reasons. And they both believe that marriage truly is a sacrament. For some couples, a purely political statement made by marriage would make all the sense in the world, but not necessarily for these two men. In a way, aren't you conceding the definitions laid out by the conservatives, I asked? I mean, they offer a purely political definition that ignores your inherent worth and dignity and the long-standing inherent worth and dignity of your relationship, and you almost buy into it if, in the end, you only get married for political reasons. In a way, would you yourselves be diminishing marriage then? which is, in fact, part of what the religious and political right accuses the left of in holding marriage open for same-sex couples, that this disrespects marriage and doesn't take it seriously. Is that really the reason you would get married? Is that really what you want your marriage to be about after all your reflection and concerns? My gratitude that these are not considerations and condemnation I face as a straight person My gratitude for that knows no bounds. Though marriage sometimes is for convenience or for immigration reasons or for financial reasons or to satisfy societal norms, none of these rises to the level that weddings articulate in their ultimate expression, the vows. Never have I been asked to perform a wedding wherein the vows promise, I, so-and-so, do solemnly promise to take you as my spouse for as long as it is convenient and financially beneficial (laughs) until I am granted citizenship in this country so that everyone who has pressured and shamed me for my singlehood will leave me alone (laughs) or offer me the respect I deserve for the purpose of the procreation of legitimate children so long as we both can stand it. Never has anyone left out promises of a covenantal relationship, of a bonding of oneself to one's partner, of the extension and exchange of family, of promises to endure and support through hardship and suffering. And not only do people exchange vows of unique commitment, their vows also include aspiration and optimism to share joy, to grow even more and ever more in love and consideration, to learn from each other and grow from their shared experience of life. All of this is part of what makes human life sacred, part of what compels our sense of the inherent worth and dignity in an individual. And it may drive us politically, but it is not political, nor should it be. There is no straight ownership of lifelong partnership and devotion. How dare anyone say that in the face of thousands, tens of thousands of gay men who have nursed their partners through years of AIDS and held them while they died? How dare anyone say that in the face of the uncountable and uncounted gay and lesbian couples who have found each other and stayed with each other for lifetimes, attested to in history and documents from ancient times to today? How blind are they 
those misanthropic and self-righteous people who feel only the humanity and rights of those exactly in their own mold, to deny the sacred loving truths of lifelong homosexual relationships that are all around them. But just as events in our country and initiatives begun in no small part within our own Unitarian Universalist movement have brought the issue of marriage equality to the forefront of national conservative awareness, so too have they brought the issue to the forefront of national liberal awareness. This is not a gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and queer issue, just as interracial marriage was not for example, a black-white issue, just as civil rights was not a black issue, just as Title IX and the Equal Rights Amendment are not women's issues, they are all human issues. They are all justice issues. They are owned by all of us. We are all responsible. And thank Providence, we Unitarian Universalists are among those who know it. Within Unitarian Universalism straight, Universalism, straight allies are so poignantly aware of the undeserved gift that their straightness gives them that in a number of straight weddings I have performed in recent years, the bridal couple made mention of the freedom to marry issue during their wedding ceremony and either gave a financial donation to that cause in honor of their own union or suggested that guests consider doing so or both. <clears throat> Recognizing the right of any two adults to yoke their lives and souls in the most extreme, daunting, lofty choice that people can make is not revolutionary. And it should not even be difficult. Proofs of lifelong love made sacred by all the sacrifice and generosity and forgiveness and honor that entails are all around us. I will not cite all the instances of Jesus reaching out to those beyond the mainstream of society, nor cite all the instances of biblical support for inhumane practices we no longer find acceptable in the modern West. That has been done and done and done by me and others. And in the end, neither the loving nor the outdated injunctions apply in any legal sense because the Bible simply does not dictate the law of this land, nor has it ever, nor will it ever. So help us, God. Even as I preach this sermon, as you may know, <clears throat> Virginia is attempting to pass a draconian constitutional amendment denying basic freedoms to gays and lesbians. I quote here from an email sent out to Unitarian Universalist ministers by our colleague, the Reverend Phyllis Hubble of the Baltimore Unitarian Universalist Church. Quote, this amendment would create an arguable constitutional foundation for the similar law the Virginia legislature passed in 2004. This law prohibited not just marriage and civil unions, but threatens to overturn private contractual relationships between same-gender couples. It would, for example, prevent such couples from giving one another medical powers of attorney or allowing them to hold shared assets. It may even prevent any two persons of the same gender from holding joint mortgages. The constitutional amendment has already passed once. If it passes this year, it will be placed on the ballot for voter approval, unquote. Because of this, Unitarian Universalists in Virginia are rallying for a lobbying day in Richmond on Wednesday, January 25th. They are asking for Chesapeake area UUs who can make themselves free that day to commit to going to Richmond. It will be a day to go to lobbying training, visit legislators, attend committee meetings, and watch the session. We have a number of members and friends here in this church from the Virginia area. 
If you are interested in helping this vital effort, please contact me or visit the Virginia Equality, Equality Virginia website. And for the many Marylanders here, our turn is coming up north, up here. This church is a welcoming congregation, which means that we have formally committed ourselves to the safety, equality, and welcome of our gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and queer members and friends, both within and beyond these walls. We have a liaison to the Freedom to Marry Task Force of the Unitarian Universalists for Social Justice organization in our own Lynn Gangone. Lynn, can you stand for a moment so everybody can see who you are? There she is. She is hosting a meeting of people interested in further information and opportunities following the service, immediately following the service in this room. We have more we can always do on this human justice issue, again, both within and beyond these walls. And we have reasons for optimism. Not only the great strides made by gay and lesbian individuals and culture in our nation, not only by the strength of our own denomination's unshakable commitment to this cause, but also because the riddled history of this nation with its justice and injustice, inspiration and indecency, invention and insularity is also a hopeful history. We are ultimately better than we were. With all the challenges we face, we are never so daunted as to lapse back into evils and let them prevail over time. We understand each other better. We honor differences better. None of it is perfect, and we have far to go, but still we acknowledge our prejudices and injustices better. We see complications and unspoken truths better. And this has continued, and it will continue as long as our efforts continue undaunted to hold up the truths we know and believe in, particularly the beauty and dignity of human partnership in love. In the end, marriage is its own proof. As I frequently say at the beginning of a wedding, it is perhaps the oldest celebration in the world, so very old and laden with traditions of earnestness that we feel a formidable presence. The accumulated wisdom, the earthy and beautiful dignity found in a good wedding give the marriage ceremony its meaning. So very old, and laden with traditions of earnestness, accumulated wisdom, earthy and beautiful dignity. These are found in many places, including the longtime partnerships of two people who love each other and commit to each other for life. And such people and such love deserves marriage. End of story. Amen.